Father, we thank you that your word, which is old, is also new, in that you speak newly and freshly through it each time that it's spoken. And so we do pray now, Lord, speak and change, minister, and grow us up in Jesus Christ and in his love. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, church family, it gives me great pleasure this morning to get to introduce to you our guest preacher, whose formal name is Reverend Trevor Payton. I like to call him Rev Trev, because he's, he's been one of my closest friends for the last 23 or 25 years. We met in college where we played soccer together, and we played pranks together, and we followed Jesus together. And um, we've gone to seminary together and um, taken different and yet similar paths in ministry. Um, and our hearts are just one in the Lord. And so I just want to welcome Trevor and um, commend him to you with much joy. Trev, come and give us, bring us God's word. Thank you. I should mention two things about Trevor. Um, he's a, also a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church. He's pastored a church in Canada and one in the United States, both for about five years. And currently, he's the executive director of Dunamis Fellowship Canada, which is kind of like uh, PRMI's Canadian uh, wing, right? Yep. So. If there's PRMI in Canada, that's because we're doing it. <laughs> like, we're the ones who, who make that go in Canada. Okay. Um, before we do anything, let's pray. Lord, we need you. And I need you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us and that you have spoken to us with great clarity. We thank you for the power of your word, for the truth of your word. We thank you that, yeah, your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. We thank you that the word you proclaim does not return to you void, but accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And so now, Lord, as we come to open your word, we pray that you would be honored and exalted. We pray that the glory of Jesus would shine through clearly as your word is here the center of our attention and focus. Lord, would you move among this whole congregation, this whole group of people together, all ages, move among all of us by your Holy Spirit and open our hearts to receive your word. And Lord, I'm going to be doing my best to preach and to speak well, but I need your help or else it will just be a person talking. But Lord, we want you to be talking. So Lord, would you also empower me to speak your words? Would you work through them? Would you empower them? And would you bring glory to Jesus? Through everything that happens now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right. We will get to the scripture reading in a moment. A few uh, months ago, well, it was quite a few months ago, more than 12 months ago, I was listening through the Gospel of John on my phone. You know how you can 
just listen to, you can have it read to you while you're driving, right? I was driving, I was on like a five, six hour drive, I was listening through the Gospel of John. And it was really interesting. I want to share with you this morning what I learned, what God showed me during that drive. And I'm basically going to take you along the journey that the Lord took me on. So it'll be kind of, he took me on a journey of discovering, and that's what I'm going to try to do with you this morning too, the same way I discovered it, okay? Or the way that the Lord revealed it to me or spoke, whatever. One thing was interesting, as I was listening through the Gospel of John, um, one thing that really stood out was the really, really, really close relationship between Jesus and his Father. Really close. Um, Here are, are a few examples of where this comes up in the Gospel of John, and these are just a few, okay? Uh, John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 5, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Or John 6, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 10, I and the father are... One, John 14, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. There is a very close connection here, right? So these are just a few of the statements in the Gospel of John that point to this reality of the really close connection that Jesus and the Father have that's really highlighted in the Gospel of John. But I thought, okay... So it's just some things that I'm noticing. Fine. Okay, then I did a study. I have this cool Bible program. It makes me look really smart because I can give you numbers. Um, But in the Bible, the word father, whether Abraham was the father of Isaac or God the father, the word father shows up 901 times. In 901 different verses. Some verses have the word more than once. But 901 verses have the word father in the Bible. You want to know how many of those verses are in the Gospel of John? 100. Oh. So one-ninth of all the verses in the whole Bible about the, uh, th- that have the word Father are here in the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, almost all of them are about Jesus and the Father. Right? So there's a very close connection, and I think you'll see why as we continue to move along. Why I'm drawing attention to this. Okay, so before we zoom in on our text, our text is going to be John 17. We're going to be reading verses 20 through 26. Um, But then I'm going to be focusing in on just one verse, but I'll get to that in a minute. All right. Before we zoom in on John 17, let's step back for a brief moment. John chapter one. How does John start? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's John one, verse one. Right now, we're going to zoom in a little bit closer to the text to John 17, verse 5, the very beginning. This is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. First he prays for himself, then for the twelve, and then for all of those who come to faith afterward. That's us, right? So he's praying for himself first. And John 17, verse 5, he says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Through Him everything was made. So, Father, the glory I shared with you then, before there was nothing, or before there was anything, rather, (laughs) right? Before there was anything, glorify, glorify me now with the glory, in your presence, with the glory I had with you back then. Okay? 
And now, then I came across John 17, verse 22. That's the verse that stuck out to me, and it really floored me. I'm going to read it in context, but we're, today I'm just focusing on verse 22. But I was saying this to Pastor Dave last night. I said, I never preach on just one verse at a time, but I'm doing it here. Okay? This verse really stuck out to me, but I'm going to read verses 20 through 26. All right? This is the section where Jesus prays for all those after the apostles who will come and believe in him. Okay? So this is the word of God, John 17, starting at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, for the apostles alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of God. Okay. Jesus says, verse 22, I have given them, that is to all believers, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Jesus has given to us the glory that the Father gave him from before the foundation of the world. Have you ever noticed that? It's, it's there in the Bible. I didn't make it up. You guys have a Bible too, right? It's in yours? It was on my phone, <laughs> right? It's there. And Jesus says it, right? This isn't some obscure passage that you find some convoluted way to get to this conclusion. This is, this is what Jesus says, right? He has given to us the glory that the Father gave him before the foundation of the world. Does that strike you as a little bit odd? Or different? Right? It did for me. I rewound, and I know I'm not supposed to, but I rewound on my phone. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not right. Well, of course it was right. So I listened to it again, and there it was. So I was like, huh, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. See, I'd read the Gospel of John before many times. I love John. Um, but this verse, it had never really jumped out to me like this before. So I've given them the glory that you gave me. Okay, well, what's glory then? Right? The glory of God is one of the central themes of the whole Bible. Like if you look at the whole Bible, the Bible is one big story, right? From Genesis to Revelations, one big story about, you know, God is basically fixing the world that he made and that he loves that has fallen into sin. God is fixing the whole world. The Bible is one big story. And in that big story, there are several big themes or several big um, things that keep coming up again and again and again. God's glory is one of those big ones, right? It's like huge. It shows up everywhere, right? So... This morning, you know, there's no way we can capture all of it unless you want to be here till four in the afternoon and the batteries are going to die on, die on this uh, speaker thing beforehand. So that's not going to happen. So how are we going to do this? Well, um, I simply want to help us this morning to understand a little bit more fully what Jesus is praying about when he says, I have given them, that is to you, to y'all. <laughs> you can say that here. We're in the States. I live in Canada now. So it's in the States. 
Yeah, it's more south. Okay. Well, to give to you all <laughs> the glory that the Father gave him. So I want, us to, I want to help us understand that more fully. All right? So the definition of glory, if you look on the, on the interwebs and you look it up, um, the definition of glory says, a state characterized by honor, power, and remarkable appearance, splendor. Right? That's, that's glory. Okay? Uh, there are several, as I said, it shows up in the Bible all the time. Um, one passage is Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Right? In Exodus 34, it doesn't actually say the word glory, but it's so interesting. Moses um, spoke to the Lord face to face as with a friend. And after he came out of the tent of meeting where he had his quiet time with the Lord, basically, it says that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. The Lord's glory basically stuck to him in some way, right? Or Habakkuk chapter 2, this is one of my favorite verses. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Right? Awesome, right? Okay, God's glory is a big deal. Okay? And before the foundation of the world, the Father had given this glory to the Son. Right? As I said, there's a very close relationship between the Father and the Son, and the Spirit, by the way. Okay? And actually, speaking of that, let's get to that. It's not surprising that there's this close connection because God is Trinity. You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Do we know how it works? Can we explain how it works? No, we just know that it's true because it's there in the Bible, right? Okay. But here's the way that that tends to work. If you ask the smart theologians, the people down at Calvin Seminary and stuff, they'll tell you that in the life of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are each continually loving and submitting to and honoring the others. So receiving love and giving love, receiving honor, giving honor, receiving glory and giving glory. All three persons of the Trinity, eternally, forever, from before time, right? So the glory of God is shown or is made manifest, first of all, in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says, Father, give me now the glory that you gave to me before the foundation of the world, he's talking about that, the life of the Trinity. He's talking about that glory, right? And now, in verse 17, Jesus says, I have given to, to people, to my followers, the glory, that glory, that glory, that you gave me before the foundation of the world. Not another kind, like that was the Trinity kind, and I've given them a version B, you know. He's given us the very glory that the Father gave him before the foundation of the world. Is that pretty crazy? It was crazy to me. Okay. Jesus giving his glory to us. It's interesting. We don't have time to go into this now, but I'll just refer to it because I think it's really helpful. Because I, I had my mind blown by this passage a number of months earlier. So I'll, I'll refer to it here and then give a brief explanation without going into detail. All right? Talk to me after if you want to know more because I'd love to share 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, if you want to look. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. You are having to suffer. But these, these sufferings have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, and gold perishes even though it's refined by fire, so that your faith, 
here's the point, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It will result in praise, glory, and honor for Jesus, obviously. We know that Jesus is going to be exalted when he returns. Yeah? Okay. But, you know, the interesting thing, if you dig into the commentaries, like, you know, the things that help people understand the Bible, if you, dig, if, if you really do some, some good exegetical study on this, it's not just talking about praise, glory, and honor for Jesus, but also praise, glory, and honor from Jesus. When he returns and he finds you still clinging on to faith, even though you've had to suffer for it, he's going to say, wow, good for you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, that's what he's going to be saying. Praise, glory, and honor from Jesus. God himself praising us the way that, you know, a father praises a, a, a child for a job well done kind of thing, right? Okay, so Jesus has given his glory to us. That's what the Bible's saying. That's what, it's right there. Okay, so where, like, how, how does that happen? Where did that happen? Well, in his atonement at the cross, that's, that's really the heart of it, right? Um, 2 Corinthians 5, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? And so we often, when we hear the word righteousness, we think of, you know, being justified, being forgiven for our sins. And yes, that's exactly true. For sure. Yes, it's that. But you know what? In the atonement of Jesus, it wasn't just forgiveness of sins that happened. There was more than just forgiveness that took place at the cross. Right? Okay. Look at Romans chapter 8. In the atonement of Christ, or in the atonement, Christ also glorified us. Romans 8. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's right there. Huh. I never noticed it that way before. Okay. So at the cross, Jesus justified us. He paid for our sins. He made us right with God. Yes, yes, yes. And also at the cross, gave us his glory. It says right there. Romans 8. Right? Okay. The same glory that the Father gave him from before the foundation of the world. Jesus is saying, I've given them the glory that you gave me. In other words, you could paraphrase it perhaps if you wanted to, and say, at the cross, I endured their hell. At the cross, I gave them my glory. At the cross, I gave them my righteousness, my perfection, my majesty. Everything that we have, we receive because of what Jesus did at the cross. Everything, right? You guys agree with that? Good. You have good pastors here, so I'm I'm sure that's the case. (laughs) But when Jesus took our place at the cross, he didn't just forgive our sins, he also replaced them with the righteousness of God so that he got what we deserve and we get what he deserves. He deserves glory, yes? So he gave it to us at the cross. That's how it works. (laughs) Right? Another passage I'll just refer to now, it deserves its own sermon. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. We all, who with unveiled faces, unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So something about being in Christ, about belonging to Christ, somehow, in one way or another, that means that God's glory is in us. Ha! Huh. I hadn't thought of it th- that way before. And all these passages, God's leaving all these different passages into my brain. I'm just, yeah, okay, 
okay, yes, I, I guess that's what it's talking about, you know? Okay, so up till now, I'm just going to summarize up to this point. From before the foundation of the world, the Father gave his glory to the Son. And now, because of the cross, the Son is giving that same glory to all of us. Okay? That's, I think, the point of what Jesus is saying there in just the first half of that verse. <laughs> right? Okay. What does it mean for our lives? What, what difference does it make? It certainly means so much more, but at least it has to include this. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus' baptism. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and landing on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and him I'm well pleased. Right? And as Pastor Dave and I were talking last night, at the Mount of Transfiguration, the same thing. Jesus, Peter, James, and John are up there, and Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah, and he's transfigured before them, so they see his glory. And Peter says, Hey, let's set up a campsite, you know, because you don't want to leave can't blame him. I'd want to do the same, you know. Um, But what does God say there? He says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Okay. Anyway, at the very least, God giving his glory, Jesus giving his glory to us, that has to at least include the love, the delight that the Father has in Jesus is also ours. It has to at least include that, right? Obviously, there's more. So how the Father looks at the Son is how the Son looks at you. It's how the Father looks at you. Right? Okay. This is something interesting. Um, This morning during um, prayer time, um, we were praying, and and this illustration came to mind. You guys have heard of C.S. Lewis, right? Okay. He has a book called Mere Christianity, and this illustration that he makes came to mind. My point in sharing this is often our view of ourselves is very low. On the one hand, that's right or healthy because we are sinful people, right? Because we we sin. Everyone who ever saved, whoever got saved, needed it, right? God didn't save people who, who didn't need to be saved. He saved people who were desperately needing it. They were going to hell, right? Yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So on the one hand, we are accurate to understand that, yeah, we're, we're, there's, a, there's a bit wrong with us, or a lot wrong with us, right? But on the other hand, sometimes it's important for us to also remember that if God set his affections on us, then that ought to lift our spirits a bit, or a lot. So he, that's why I want to read this, okay? He's, um, C.S. Lewis is talking about the transformation that God does within us. But my point, the reason I want to read it is because of what he gets to at the end. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that, the, you knew that these jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. 
but he is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. You see, we think of ourselves, oh, I'm just a little cottage. You know, I no longer have so many leaks. Great! But God has much bigger plans in store for you. Right? He views you much higher, apparently, in this way than you do. Or than I do. <laughs> Me too, by the way. <laughs> right? God's making us into palaces. Right? The palace is where his glory is going to dwell. Right? Okay. So what does this mean for our lives? It means at very minimum, people, lift your chin. The king of heaven has looked at you and said, you are mine. Therefore, you are infinitely valuable. Right? Many of us have a hockey stick. Does anyone have the hockey stick that belonged to Wayne Gretzky when he was growing up? Yeah. Hold on to that if you have it. <laughs> you know, uh, like, if someone significant owns something, then that something is now far more valuable, right? Well, God is the king of creation. If, he, if you belong to him, then lift up your chin, you know? The Lord loves you. He valued you enough to send his son for you. He valued you enough to stay on the cross for you. Right? Um, Isaiah 43 says, Because you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I'll give people in exchange for you and men in exchange for your life. You're precious and honored in his sight. Zephaniah 3, verses 17, verse 17 The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The God of heaven and earth rejoices over you because of what Jesus has done. Isn't that epic? (laughs) Right? Okay. Alright, so this is what Jesus says is the reality. This is what he's given to us. Right? His glory given to us. So then what's our response? Okay, there's, there's basically two responses. One, we can reject it. You know, we can just say, you know, we're all trained to do this when someone gives us a gift. Right? We say, oh no, I couldn't possibly accept that. Right? That's the way it goes in our society. That's what you're taught to do. Otherwise you're viewed as greedy or whatever else. Right? Okay. Let's step back for a moment though and recognize that that response in this situation would not be a response of humility to say, oh, you gave me your glory, but I couldn't possibly accept it. That would not be a response of humility. That would be a response of false humility, which is also called pride. Right? Because if you were to say that, you would actually be saying, well, in order to receive a gift this big, I would actually have to do something to contribute to it, to earn it. And that, that doesn't work that way. Okay. That's one way we could respond in one way we often tend to respond. Let's be honest, right? I do too, totally. Instead, I want to suggest that we respond this way when we see and we hear that Jesus has given us his glory. There's two steps. One of them is really simple. The other one requires a little bit more um, digging, okay? First, simply receive it, right? Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first beatitude. Right in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor have nothing to give. Empty hands. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. That's it. Right? So simply receive it. When he gives you his glory, receive it. This is true humility. 
to not feel like you need to contribute something first in order to receive it. So receive the love and the glory that Jesus has given you at the cross. Receive it gratefully. Possibly receive it speechlessly. But I was driving along and this was starting to settle in my heart. I was, you know, it was getting hard to see because it was, it was, it was a clear sky outside, but it's like it was raining because I was starting to tear up. Right? But receive his love, receive his glory, receive his, adora- his adoration and his affirmation of you. He says, you are my son whom I love, my daughter whom I love, and you I am well pleased because of Jesus, right? So revel in it, delight in it, rest in it. Like that's his intention. When someone gives you a gift, they want you to receive it, right? So receive it. Second thing, that was the simple part. Here's the more interesting part. Men and women, we hoard glory. We're greedy for it. We gather all the glory that we can. We fight for our crowns and we hold tightly to them. I was just, I was thinking, as I was reflecting on this, as I was driving on that long drive, you could summarize the history of the, of the human race as, if you were going to write a book of the whole history of the human race, you could uh, entitle it The Fight for Glory. That would be a pretty decent summary of what tends to drive us as people, right? We want to be the master, right? But when the Bible describes someone in the presence of God, what do they do? What do they do with their glory? They lay it down. Job puts his hand over his mouth when God speaks. And God speaks twice, right? <laughs> Job puts his hand over his mouth and then God goes again, right? Okay. Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Okay. But as I was praying through this as I'm driving along in the car, I kept, I, I was, I kept saying, but God, all the glory is yours. It's your glory. How do you give it to me? Why would you give it to me? It doesn't sound right that God would give his glory to me. I'm not God. I don't become God. It's not some weird, twisty theology. Like, God, all glory is yours. And yet it's right there in Scripture, from the lips of Jesus himself, no less. And so... I know that I need to receive it. I just don't, I don't get it. God, what am I missing? Right? And then God brought this scripture to mind. And it, it all made sense. In Revelation 4, I think we heard from Revelation 5, just from the front this morning, right? Revelation 4, right before that, there are 24 elders, and these elders all have crowns, right? You want to know what we do? When we receive the glory, of, glory from Jesus, listen to this. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. They lay their crowns before him. How did they get their crowns? God gave them to him. Oh, now I get it. (laughs) As I was driving along, it's like, oh, I get it now. (laughs) Oh, after that, it was all praise and worship the whole way back, the whole way to the destination. So, what do we do as people to whom Jesus has given his glory? First, we receive it, right? Second, 
We praise it back to Him. That's the, that's the response, I think. Receive it and then praise it back with joy. Jesus has given us His glory. He really has. Yes, so that we can rest in His presence. Yes, so that we can delight in Him in the way that, because of the way that He delights in us because of Jesus and all that. Yes. But I think one of the primary reasons that He gave us His glory is so that just like the 24 elders, we can fall down before Him and lay it before Him to praise it back to Him. We praise our glory back to God. We lay our crowns before Him. We exalt Him because He's been so good to us and because He is so good. And then, <laughs> as I'm reflecting on this, God, does, God wasn't done yet. He wanted to show me yet one more thing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so God brought to mind one last thing, and I've already kind of referred to it. As I said, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are eternally in this tr- beautiful Trinity relationship of eternally loving and honoring and glorifying and adoring and delighting in one another. They are receiving love and giving love, receiving honor and giving honor, receiving glory and giving glory. Right? Talked about that. Perfect unity, perfect love forever. But when we receive glory from God and praise it back to Him, what are we doing? We are participating in the very life of the Trinity. I never noticed that before. Right? We are participating in the very life of the Trinity when we receive the glory that Jesus gives to us and then praise it back to Him with joy. That astounded me. And then, so right now we've only got through half the verse. John 20, verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, Father. You see, the perfect fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is shown in the church as we receive the glory of God from Jesus and then praise it back to Him. Right? God's affection and love and delight in us because of Jesus, as we receive that and delight in it, it creates the life of the Trinity here in the church as well. And then all of that whole section of John 17 makes sense. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Anyway, I love to share this with people because it was so mind-boggling to me and it was so awe-inspiring when I learned. So, at this point, I think any further words from me would not be helpful. So I'm just going to use some of God's words and then we'll pray. All right? So I invite you to close your eyes. And... This, yeah, this is, I guess, the start of our prayer. Ascribe to the Lord all your families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. living God, you are beyond our mind's capacity to comprehend. Your majesty, your wonder, your, your glory, you are so far beyond us. And yet, God, you call us to your own. 
Because of the infinite price paid by our Savior, we are drawn into your family. We are called your sons and daughters because that's what we are. Because of what Jesus has done, you now delight in us. We belong to you. We can rest in you. Thank you that we are not just little cottages, but we are being made into palaces where you yourself are going to dwell. Thank you for the glory of Jesus Christ and of the gospel, which is the message of salvation. It's the power of God for salvation of all who believe. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for giving us your glory. We joyfully give it back to you in praise because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.